then when I was 26, Meredith, and then uh, actually probably 25. So, uh, so, uh, so that was a short little time there. But uh, and then uh, 27, Marshall, and then uh, about 30 years old, Miles came, and so then five years later, 40, uh, 35 came Melody, and then. The Lord gave us another one five years later, and so, and we're praying for this little girl as uh, she's still. Those babies, they just love. They love my wife's womb, and uh, they're comfortable in there. And so, uh, they're always late. So, we're praying this one is on time, and we'll see what happens. And you be praying for her. Matthew nineteen. I tell you, uh, this doesn't happen. I can probably count on a handful of times how many times this has happened. But I preached last week. And uh, finished preaching, and I literally walked down the steps here, and God said, Matthew 19, little children. I, I, I'm not, I feel like, I feel like, you know, a little charismatic when I say that sometimes, but I really being serious, uh, God speaks through his word, amen? And that's how he speaks, and there's no doubt about that in my mind. And when I walked down the steps last Sunday, he said, forbid not the little children to come unto me. And... Uh, and for such is the kingdom of God. And I said, okay, Lord, I think I got the message. And so we're in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. It's not necessarily a, uh, a cliche Father's Day message, uh, but fathers have children. Uh, so uh, that's the reason you're a father. But this is a message um, that is directed towards us during this time that we celebrate every year. What We have Vacation Bible School for the last 13 years that I've been the pastor. We've always had VBS, and for the last 13 years, we've always seen kids get saved every single VBS, and so uh, we praise God for that, and uh, God's happy when kids get saved, amen, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. That means two things. It's a, it's a, it's a bifold meaning right there. Um, the first meaning is this, it's like David said, whenever the little child that was born in sin came out of the womb, uh, the Lord told David that the child would die, and the child did die. And David said, uh, he said, I shall not, uh, he, he shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. Demonstrating for us, I believe, that God in his grace and in his mercy allows for those that are uh, pass away before the age of decision uh, to be brought into the arms of their Heavenly Father. And I do believe that. And uh, I believe God is gracious. And God is good. Uh, God even said to Jonah, Don't you have compassion on this city of Nineveh, in whom there are uh, threescore and thousand people who know not the right hand from their left? I believe that deals with not only the, un the unborn, the young ones, but also those that do not have the mental capacity to be able to understand uh, the gospel and other things about life. So God in his grace uh, in this passage is illustrating for us that he accepts any those little children that come to him before the age of decision. But also there's another great meaning in the passage. And that is that all that come to Christ only come to him as a little child with humility, with dependence with dependence and with full trust and obedience to the gospel that says repent and believe the gospel. That says there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Christ Jesus the Lord. That says 
that if thou shalt believe with thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead and shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. A child believes those things. And a child understands those things. And we need to be like little children. Children should be allowed to come to Christ. Amen? Children should be allowed to come to Christ. It's an interesting thing to me that this has been an issue in the church even from its early inception. From the beginning days that this has been an argument. This is even an argument in our day today. Pastors uh, sometimes will talk about these things and maybe not argue about them, but they'll discuss them. Or maybe sometimes as church members we'll get around and we'll discuss, when can a child believe? When can a child accept Christ? When can a child understand that they must repent of their sins and trust in Jesus? When, are, when is this time in which they are allowed to do these things? It's always been a question and it's always in some points been a, even a point of contention whenever you get into areas of infant baptism and those kinds of things. But this passage is no, uh, it is, it is no authority for infant baptism. That's not what the passage is teaching us. The passage is not teaching us that God accepts infant baptism. That is not what this passage is saying whatsoever. It's not even saying uh, giving over parental rights, R-I-T-E-S, that parents in their, have a power over their children, that because of their conversion, their children are also secured in heaven. That is not what this passage is teaching either. We understand that God has no grandchildren. Amen? God only has children. The only reason He has children is because it is the personal responsibility of every man, woman, boy, and girl to accept Jesus Christ and repent and, and believe upon Him. But God in this passage is plainly answering the question for us all, how should we handle this issue? And the answer is, into, is given to us plain and simple in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. When we're taught that, when, that whenever children were brought to the Lord, that it says, And then they were brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And his disciples rebuked him, rebuked them. And Jesus said, Suffer, the little, ch suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Take your Bibles over to the Gospel of Mark. And notice the same exact story. Mark chapter number 10 Jesus tells us the exact same story. It's recorded for us once again in Mark 10, in verse number 13. And I want to draw out some different things about these passages from the Synoptic Gospels. It says in Mark 10, in verse number 13, the Bible teaches us here, it says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. I read about that this morning that the Lord was only angry as disciples three times. And this is one of the occasions he was angry at them because they denied the children and their parents to bring them unto him. They should have even known better because in the Talmud they were taught that 
God accepts and believes and, under, and loves little kids. And they were taught even in their synagogues that, that, that rabbis would bless little children. And it was very common in those days to have children dedication sermons. And it was very, very common in those days to have ceremonies where uh, children would be dedicated unto the Lord and they would be brought to the temple on two occasions. One occasion, young males at eight years old for circumcision. There was no doubt about this. This was a time of dedication. But then also for young males at 40 days year old, they were to be brought again for dedication to God. And for young female children, they were brought to dedication at 60 days to God. Because God was going to, they wanted to dedicate. This was nothing unusual. But yet their hearts were hardened and their hearts were stubborn to God's will for children. And anytime you have a church that is stubborn and hard-hearted towards children, you'll always have a church that is failing and fainting and going away from God. Every single church that is always thriving and fruitful is going to have a church that loves children. If you don't love children, then you don't love what God loves. And let us neither be misunderstanding about the passage here either where he says that he laid his hands on him and them and touched them. We don't like that word touch anymore. We're so perverted in our society today that the uh, pedophiles have taken over and we are not allowed to say words like touch or put their hands on them. And somehow people even associate these things with ungodly things. And let us never be misunderstood here. Jesus did not touch them in an ungodly way, but touched them just as any pastor or any godly man or woman would lay their hand on a child's head and bless them and pray over them. There's nothing wrong with that. And but we do live in a society of perversions. And uh, may we understand that the Bible doesn't speak of anything perverted in this case. And today we also see that God's idea is very different from the disciples. God has a special place in heaven for children. And God and for all of us that are going to go into the kingdom of God, we must also become as little children. And with this week, we're starting Vacation Bible School, and we're thinking upon these things. It occurred to me that Jesus has something to say about these things. I don't believe we have anyone here that objects to these events. I believe we're a church that loves children. That's obvious. We have a children's missionary offering, and I think it's the favorite time. I think it's the highlight of the service a lot of times. And I say that jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, but I also say that seriously because I do see a smile upon everybody's face whenever the children bring the offerings. It is a good time. It's a blessed time. And for them to have their own time over there and to learn God's word at their level, it's a good time too. And they were trying to invest into our children. We're spending money this week in order that we might invest in our kids. This is like a children's revival. Did you know that? That's what Vacation Bible School is. It's like a children's revival. That's what we're doing this week. We have revival for adults, don't we? We're having a revival for the kids this week. And some of these kids are already saved. And some of them are going to learn more about God. It might be in a vacation Bible school that one of your children dedicates themselves to God and says, I want to be a missionary. And may God they let that happen. And that would be a blessed thing. I don't believe anybody else objects to these things. And if we do, may we have our hearts smitten and may we get right with God this morning. 
At a certain meeting, there were two and a half people converted to Christ, Moody said. A friend asked if that meant two adults and a child. Moody said the facts were just the opposite. Two children and one adult. When a child is led to Christ, Moody said, a whole life is saved. A whole life is saved. How many of you were saved before the age of 12? Raise your hand. Several of you. Several of you. Most people are saved before the age of 12. And the majority, I'd say most, but they're, the, a good percentage are saved before the age of 12. And an even greater percentage are saved before the age of 19. Because God is working on the young ones. Take your Bibles over to Psalm chapter number 71 and verse number 6. I want to say first of all that God has a special place in His heart for children. God has a special place in His heart for children. There's no place for anyone in the church that agrees with the destruction and the killing of unborn children. You say, you mean they're not allowed at church? That's not what I said. I said that there's no place for that. There's no place for that ideology in the church of God Almighty. God loves little children. And when I sometimes uh, peruse some of these events and I see sometimes even churches standing up for abortion, it makes me sick to my stomach. And it must make God even sicker to His stomach to think that we are okay with the killing of unborn children. And if you've done that, if that's happened to you, God's not mad at you. God's not upset with you. But many of you, if any of you have, that God has great grace and mercy for those things. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to anybody that stays in that mindset and says, Ah, it's okay. It's a woman's right. It's okay. She can do that. No, it's not okay. Such an attitude is, not sim is simply not consistent with God or His Word. Psalm 22 says, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Psalm 71 in verse number 6, it says this, By thee have I been holding up from the womb. From where? From the womb. Say it together with me. From the where? The womb. God thinks of children as from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall continually be of thee. Did not he make me in the womb that made him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Job said. Isaiah says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeserin, whom I have chosen. We at Scenic Hills Baptist Church love children that are born and unborn alike. Praise God. Just like God does. If we don't love unborn children, then we don't love what God loves. I'm not saying there's anybody here like that. But if you are, then you're an enemy of God. Because this is God's ordained fashion to do things. That He 
would orchestrate and put us together. The Bible says that we were knit together in the womb. Think about that. Knit together. God loves the little children. The Bible teaches us that one day there will be even little children playing in the streets when Jesus comes. Secondly, I would have you point this out to you. Take your Bibles here in Psalm. Go over to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. I would tell you, second law, that God has a special place in his heart for children, both unborn and born alike. Secondly, I would say that God wants Christians to have godly children. Now, I know this is old-fashioned preaching right here. And I'm not asking everyone to follow my wife and I's example. You get the point. So, but what I am saying is this. I believe that the Bible teaches that godly parents should desire to have children. That godly parents should desire to have children. I've heard Christians talk things like this. Well, we just don't want to have kids. I don't believe that's Christian speaking. I didn't say that was a Christian speaking. I just said I don't believe that's Christian speaking. I don't believe that's Christian speech. When we talk in such a way. It's rather abnormal that Christian people don't want to have children. People say, well, don't you know how evil this world is? Yeah, I do know how evil this world is. That's why we need more Christian children. (laughs) Now, I'm not speaking to you. If you can't have children, that's, that's understandable. I'm just speaking about those that have the attitude, well, I don't want to have any kids. Kids are such a burden, and kids are this and this and that everything. I've heard Christians talk that way. That's not godly speech. Let us not be confused like that. That's worldly talk, folks. That's not Bible talk. The Bible always promotes and has promoted from the beginning. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That was God's command, and I never have seen that retracted in God's Word. Oh, we're just getting so... Oh, we've got so many people out here. What are we going to do with them all? Has anybody ever flown from Texas to Alaska or flown across the Midwest or anything like that? You know? Has has anybody ever flown out in West Texas? There ain't nothing there. Listen, we got a lot of land to occupy still, okay? All right? I mean, I don't know why everybody wants to live in New York City. I've been there two times, and I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? (laughs) <laughs> some of y'all have lived in big cities and you're, you're saying you say well Austin's a big city well you haven't been to Houston lately okay alright uh, you know it takes you 60 it's 60 miles across east to west okay uh, and so uh, you know we're living in a city that's what 1.3 million or whatever and you look down in Houston and you're looking in the millions down there um, hey Move away from the city. Get away from those things. My father-in-law doesn't even believe that God intended for people to live in cities. Now, that's something else, a totally different subject. Don't even know why I said that. So, uh, you can talk to him about that. I didn't say it. He did. All right. Um, and he lives in Austin. That's awesome. So, <laughs> anyhow, Psalm 127, look at verse 3. Lo, children are what? An heritage of the Lord. 
And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of the mighty man, so are children in his youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. You know, Karis gets the looks all the time, and I get the looks. Oh, you got little kids right there, you know. And you know what we just started saying? We just started saying, amen, and aren't we glad God gave them all to us? Isn't that great? Man, I don't know what to say to you. I'm thankful for our kids. And you don't have to have six kids to be blessed of God, and you might just have one child. They thank God for that, amen? Praise God for what God has given to you. He's given to you what He knows that He can give to you, and by His will that He's given to you. But they are an heritage of the Lord. What is an heritage? It is something that is passed down through generation to generation to generation. It is an heritage. It is something in which you instill in your kids the Christian doctrines and the Christian philosophies and the Christian ways of life. And what do they do? They grow up in those things and they learn those things and they themselves one day are led to Christ and believe in Christ. And then what are they going to do one day, Lord willing? Maybe, Lord willing, they'll marry a Christian uh, spouse and then they'll have children and they'll teach their children the things of God and their children will get saved. And that's a godly heritage. Karis and I are blessed beyond measure. This is very unusual. I don't find this very often. But, but, but our kids are saved. We're saved. Both of our parents are saved. Both sides of our grandparents, both sides of them are saved. And I've got even one more past that. My dad's parents' parents were saved. And she does too. I mean, we've got a godly heritage that started way back generations ago. Think about that. The reason that I'm saved today is by God's grace. There's no doubt about it. But it's also because generations ago, there were people that made a decision that, you know what, I'm not following this world. I'm following Christ. And they believed and they trusted in Christ. And now, not just their generation, but another generation and another generation and four or five generations later are still being impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ because one person made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And they said, the children are in heritage of the Lord. God gave them to me. That's what Christian parents think. God gave me these kids. And I want to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of God. It's also interesting to me that God adopted this term children when he speaks to those that follow Jesus Christ. Us that are saved, God, God loves children so much, think about it this, that he adopted the saying of children and father. He calls himself what? The father. And we are his children. Amen? All right? Don't follow into this new age stuff where God is now mother and all this other kind of nonsense. Jesus said, this is very, this is very, this is very thoughtful statement here. Jesus said, he that doeth the will of God, the same shall be called my brother, my sister, and my mother. He did not say father. He did not say father. He has one father, heavenly father. We all that are saved have one heavenly father. We have one heavenly father. 
God desires us to have godly children. Malachi 2 says this, Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been a witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. He's chiding the people of Israel and Malachi because they've taken the issue of marriage very lightly and, uh, and they are just divorcing their spouses over nonsense matters and they're just, uh, they're just being uh, very ungodly in their treatment of their spouses. And he points this out. He says, she is the companion and the wife of thy covenant. And then he gives the reason to why, one of the reasons to why, that God hates divorce. And did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. All of us, all of us, all of us in this room, whether you've experienced divorce, been through divorce, your parents were divorced, whatever it might be, all of us can agree that divorce hurts children. No matter if you were in the wrong or the right, I'm not talking that way, all right, this morning. We understand that divorce hurts kids. It's not good for kids, okay? So if you're married today and you've got kids, you don't stay together for the sake of the children, all right, you stay together for the sake of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But understand this, you also stay together because you know that that's going to have a profound impact upon your children if you separate and divorce. There's no doubt about that. You say, I'm in the right. I'm not arguing right or wrong this morning, okay? And sometimes I know divorce is inevitable. It happens. Bad things happen. There's wicked people out there, okay? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not preaching on that this morning. I'm just saying that if you're married here, stay with your spouse. Be godly. Treat them correctly. Because God is trying to use you as a family to raise up a godly seed in an ungodly world. You say, I'm single. I don't have a spouse. Then you know what? You've got to, you're, you're still given an opportunity. You're given the opportunity to be a parent, to raise up a godly seed. Be the parent that God's called you to be. Be the parent that God wants you to be. Proverbs teaches us how to discipline them and what to expect out of them. Colossians teaches fathers, and maybe this is to you this morning, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Ephesians tells you fathers to raise up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Titus tells mothers to love their children. To love their children. When, Bibles, when the Bible says for fathers to raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's what you call balance of both love and discipline. Nurture, like a nurse nurses a, a, uh, somebody that's been hurt, nurturing them back to health, and admonition, correction. It's a balance. God always is a balanced God. Learn to do both, fathers. Thirdly, I would say this, children can trust Christ. Jesus plainly says that. He says, forbid them not to come unto me. 
forbid them not to come unto me. Luke's gospel, we learn that there were even infants in the crowd that day. They brought unto him also infants. The kingdom of God is made up of little ones, folks. Zacharias says that even in the kingdom of God one day when Jesus comes to rule and to reign, he says that there will be little children playing in the streets. Isn't that a beautiful thought? There's going to be a bunch of kids in heaven. Be little kids running around. That's going to be a blessed thing. That's going to be an awesome thing. God loves children so much, he says, I want them in the kingdom. I want them in the kingdom. There's nothing that brings a smile to somebody's face than to watch children playing and being happy. It brings a smile to your face. It brings a smile to God's face. Children can trust in Jesus Christ. My brother-in-law was saved at the age of three. I used to doubt him on that some. But after studying this passage out, I don't have any more doubts. I believe that children, even as as young as three years old, might be saved. Some of you are here in this auditorium. I know a couple of you that you were saved so early, you don't even really remember what age it was. You just know that you trusted Christ at a very early age. And we ought to be okay with that. We ought to say, amen. That's great. Praise the Lord. Don't question somebody's salvation just because they were saved at three or four or five. Do you know when Samuel began to walk with God? Three, four, and five years old. He was opening the temple gates, the temple or the tabernacle uh, doors at five years old. He was already doing the Lord's work. He was given over to God at a very early age. The psalmist wrote in 71.5, he said, For thou art my hope, O Lord God, for thou art my trust from my youth. I've trusted you, God, since my youth. I believe David wrote that psalm. God, from my very young age, there was a little seven-year-old Joash that trusted God and led his kingdom in the right ways. It was a little girl in Assyria that trusted God and led Naaman to be healed from the prophet. It was a little lad that trusted Jesus with his lunch that fed the multitudes. It was a little five-year-old Miriam that trusted God and helped her brother get out of the river. It was another eight-year-old named Josiah that at the age of eight chose to follow God. Let us never rebuke, put down, hold back the zeal and the desire for children to follow Christ. I feel like maybe at times in my ministry I've been guilty of that. Maybe they don't understand. Maybe they just don't quite get it. And you know when a child gets it or they don't. For instance, I've talked to one child last year at Vacation Bible School, and I said, now, you know that you're a sinner, don't you? And he looked right at me and bowed up his back and said, I've never done anything wrong. (laughs) Now, at five years old, we kind of laugh at that. But I've also seen some kids that at the beginning of Vacation Bible School that have said the exact same thing to me. I've never done anything wrong. But by the end of the week, God softens that little child's heart and lets them see that, yes, I have sinned. And I want Jesus to forgive me of my sins. That's a blessing, folks. 
That's God working in a child's life. Jesus strictly forbids the disciples to, to not, to, to, to forbids them not. To, to say, stop doing what you're doing. Stop preventing them from coming to me. You say, well, how soon can a child believe? I'll tell you like this. As soon as he or she is able to. It's the best answer I can give you. When can a child believe? As soon as he or she is able to. For some it's three. For others it's eight. The Bible doesn't give us an age limit. But neither does it tell us the youngest person in hell either. It doesn't tell us either one. The majority of Christians, as I said earlier, come to Christ before the age of 12. Let me ask you a question. Is your child saved? We're not here to force children to be saved. We're not here to try to get children to put uh, up on our numbers board. We don't want to try to... Uh, we don't have mass meetings and mass, we don't, we don't at our vacation Bible schools or our children's revivals, we don't uh, say, all right, how many of you want to go to heaven? How many kids want to go to heaven, you think? All of them, right? And say, okay, pray this prayer. They pray it. And you say, you're saved. We don't do that kind of stuff. I don't believe in that. Okay? That's, uh, that's, that's false evangelism. But if a child sincerely understands that they're sinners and that they want Jesus to save them. They don't need to understand the hypostatic union. I don't even understand that. Y'all, some of y'all don't even know what that means. That's okay. But they don't need to understand the Trinity. I don't understand that. They don't don't need to understand what the virgin birth is. Half of them don't even know what a virgin is. All right? But they do need to understand that they're sinners and that Christ came to die for their sins and they rose again the third day. That's the gospel. And if they understand that and they trust in that and they believe in that, you know what the, I used to believe, used to say the ABCs of salvation, except believe and confess or call. I forget what it is. But I don't believe in that. I believe in the RBC. Repent, believe, and confess. Repent. You say a child can repent? Certainly. Certainly. He can understand that he's a sinner. She can understand that she's sinned. And she can say, I believe. I understand there's only one that can save me. Finally, I'll close with this. God expects... I'll say this before I close, though. If we're holding back children from salvation, Jesus offers a stern warning in Matthew 18, 6. And if we don't Express to children the gospel. He tells us, But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and they were drowned in the depth of the sea. We often talk of that passage in hurting little children, and I'm okay with that. But really the context is speaking to not allowing children into the kingdom of God. Disadvantaging them. So they're not able to hear the gospel. Jesus says, it were better for you to have a millstone hung about your neck and thrown in the depths of the sea. Now finally, I've said that three times, God expects all people to come to him in faith like a child. Go back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 and verse number 3. 
I'll get you out of here so you can get to Luby's, okay? Here in just a second. <laughs> God expects all people to come in faith like a child. I want to close with this. If you're not saved here today, the expectation of God is that you come to Him like a little child. Verse 2, Jesus called a little child unto Him and set Him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever there shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To be in the kingdom of heaven, you must come to Christ with humility of mind. Children are humble creatures, naturally. They are humble in knowledge. They don't know very much. And they don't pretend to know know so much either. But adults are just too smart for God sometimes, aren't they? They're just too smart for the gospel. See, God doesn't accept people that are too smart for the gospel. He says, you've got to get rid of that kind of mind. You've got to have humility of mind. You've got to realize that you don't know anything and that God knows everything. Children are humble in experience. The, you know, adults, by the time that you're about 25, 30 years old, you've been burned about 115 times. Children are not like that. Children are humble in experience. They're trustworthy. Maybe they're, they're very trustworthy, maybe too trustworthy perhaps. But that is what adds to their innocence and their belief in Jesus. And they believe wholly upon him because that's what the Bible says. And they don't need 115 reasons. And they don't need you to explain nuclear science to them in a creationist format in order for them to accept Christ. You tell them that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And they say, is that what Jesus said? Yes. Who is Jesus? He's God. Well, then I want to trust in Jesus. It's that simple for kids because they haven't been burned. They're humble in their size. Most of the time, adults are too big for their britches, physically and spiritually. They think they know it all. They've seen it all. They've read it all. They've done it all. They know better. No, in order to get saved, you've got to get small. You've got to get like a little kid. Even sometimes it would be advantage, I believe, sometimes I've seen adults get real small that get saved. They'll get down on their knees because they want to get small. And they want to go to God like a little child down on their knees begging their father for some gracious gift. You've got to get small if you're going to be saved. Are you saved today? And finally, I would say this, God doesn't expect children to become adults to get saved. We must not expect children to become so smart intellectually before they get saved. That's just not going to happen. They don't need to be baptized. They don't need to be confirmed. They don't need to have gone to confession. You get saved by believing that Christ alone is the way of salvation. That you are a sinner and you need Jesus to save you. Do you understand that God has a special place in his heart for children? Are you hindering children or facilitating children to come to Christ? Are you a godly parent wanting to have more children or wanting to raise the children that you do have, maybe young or old, 
in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Lead a child to Christ. Bring them to vacation Bible school. An evangelist was holding a special meeting for boys and girls like we are. And one day after the children's meeting, little Helen came home and rushed to her father's side. And she said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. She said, I've become a Christian. He said, well, I'm so glad to hear that, Helen. When did you become a Christian? She said, this afternoon, Daddy, at the revival meeting. He said, oh. She said, yes, the evangelist told us that Jesus Christ was there in the room and that if we would receive him, he would come in and live in our hearts and make us his own and he would receive us. Well, he said, go on and tell me what else would happen. Well, she said, I received him and I took Jesus to be my Savior. But how do you know that you received him and took him in? The, the father persisted and on and on and on the father went until finally the little child looked up and gave an answer that she, he would never forget Whenever the father finally said, well, how do you know he would receive you? And she looked right at daddy and she said, well, daddy, with tears streaming down her eyes, because he said he would. And that's exactly what it means to believe in Jesus. How do you know you're saved? How do you know that Christ lives in you? How do you know that you're one of his own? How do you know he's received you? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. How do you know that you've received Christ? And how do you know he's received you? Because he told me he would. It's that simple. You say, that's too simple. Listen, folks. The gospel is simple. Paul even said, I put down my natural abilities because I am afraid that if I even put those out there, that it might detract from the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel's simple. Children are simple. Let us love children to Christ. Let us lead them to Christ. Let us show them Christ. Are you saved today? With every head bowed and every eye closed,